is Jared and the GM on ESPN 1025 The Game. It's a Fireball Hot Take Friday. GM, how are you today? I'm outstanding. Yeah, good. I'm excited. I'm excited that you're excited. We got the Carolina Panthers on tap. First road game for, for Ryan Tannehill. We're at the midway point throughout the NFL season. They got the NFL awards. We'll get to that. But we got to start the show on what I did last night. Not the philanthropic me that had three sets of trick-or-treaters last night and gave each one of them about $25 worth of candy for all 12 of the trick-or-treaters or whatever that I had yesterday. That's the philanthropic me that's out there for the people. The me we got to talk about, Floyd Ritz. <laughs> the one that's what? Philanthropic. <laughs> I feel like that's a nice word to use in this, in that regard. The me we got to talk about is the me who 18 hours ago tweeted this out, quote, the game, talking about the Predators game last night, the game is 10 minutes and 30 seconds old and it is already over. Goodness gracious. The Predators at that point were leading 2-0. Nick Bonino, four goals in a row with with the first goal. I felt pretty doggone good about the Predators. I felt pretty doggone good about the Predators at 3-1. to I turned it off. I'll admit I turned it off last night with the way the Predators were dominating Calgary. At one point, they were up 11-0 in the shot count to start the game. I turned it off. I had to get up this morning and watch what happened. And I saw the collapse in the third period. And you want to know how I know they lost? Because my phone exploded on Twitter with all the Predators fans that said that I should be fired for thinking the game was over. And how dare Jared Stillman say that the game was over. And it's all your fault, Jared Stillman, that you cost the Predators. And it is eerily similar to a game two years ago where the Predators played Calgary on a, uh, on a Thursday. And I guaranteed they would win. And they ended up losing and everyone blamed me. So I want to start with this. Is it my fault? The Predators collapsed in the third period yesterday and overtime and lost to Calgary when they were dominating them to start the game because I tweeted out once again that the game was over 10 minutes and 30 seconds in. Well, are you asking me? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty certain you had absolutely nothing to do with any of it. True story. <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't tell the fans that. So I don't, uh, I mean, I, I don't, not much you could do. Well, I'm going to just say this. I think it showed, and we've talked about this, you know, about the difference between the Predators last year and the Predators this year and why we're so giddy about this year's team and things we like about it and what makes us feel good about it and how and to start the game. We talked about this yesterday. They can go to Tampa and they can play their butts off on a Saturday night and they can put that puck in the back of the net and they can win that game some way, somehow. End of story. But then... To follow that up, on the other side, they play a bad Blackhawk team and they annihilate them, and it's like, okay, they're not playing up and down to their competition. I think they admitted to it after the game yesterday. They got complacent. And that's what happened when they went up 4-1 on Calgary. They thought, like we've seen, and I'm sure the Predators aren't the first team in the history of the NHL that, I don't want to say consistently does this, but they looked at it and said, oh, we got this one in the bag. And as soon as they thought we got this one in the bag is right where Calgary got just a bunch of weird kind of, you know, I was like weird little crazy goals. I mean, one Pekka just flat out missed, which was just a, you know, a bad goal on his part. The others, you know, you got one off the stick. 
you got a couple where your third D pair, again, can't clear the puck out of the zone, and they put it in there. I mean, I, I think that we saw yesterday in last night's game that the Predators have proven that they're still capable of getting a little too full of themselves at certain points in certain games. Well, I don't. I, I mean, I watched through two, two periods, on and off through two periods, and and at the end of the second, it was four to one, and I was kind of like you. I said four to one, and and Pekka's in goal, and there's one more period, and the the football game started getting a little bit closer. Um, the Cardinals kind of moved in, looked like they were going to make a bid, and so I thought, well, I'll start watching this, and uh, and didn't go back to it. And then woke up this morning and looked at, turned on the computer, and I thought, now, what happened there? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't like they even lost, you know, they were ahead four to one, and I thought, well, they lost five to four. And they, you know, went beyond that. So, <laughs> I mean, it had to be wild and woolly. What do you make of the fact that the Predators essentially threw in the towel there in the third period and it got them beat? I, you know what? Again, if this was a football game, and you were ahead twenty-eight to seven, and you lost it in the fourth period. Which we've seen. It'd be criminal, you know. But when you have eighty-two of these things, I'm not sure it's that big a deal. Well, see that—that's <laughs> what I—that's what I wonder. We're gonna. This won't be the first one or the last one. See, there'll this be is, a few more of these. This is what I wonder: is is this just a blip on the radar that? Three weeks from now, we'll never remember the collapse they had. Now, by the way, the goal, the game-winning goal last night was unbelievable. I mean, that was a, you know, may, might end up being the best goal scored all season this year. I mean, I don't even know how to describe how they put the puck in the back of the net there. But maybe we'll go down as the goal of the year. But I don't know. Do we look at last night's game and say, okay, this is a problem the Predators have got to make sure that they avoid going forward is – and, you know, Peter is always – and I think it's because Peter coaches it by periods. Like, he always gets to the podium and says, yeah, I thought we had a good start in the first period. We were flat in the second period, and I thought we played well in the third period. That Peter talks like that, that maybe that's why people seem to – they seem to go out there and play flat in periods at a time or or other stuff. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just – or is it – is it a concern or is it just a blip on the radar that in a couple of weeks we'll all forget about and we won't remember the fact that they got complete place in we'll, the losses we'll, game? We'll forget about it in a few days. I mean, in my mind. Again, there's a whole bunch of these games, and this is not the first time something like this has happened. I'm sure it won't be the last time. Nobody's fond of it. Nobody, I mean, everybody hates that it happened. If you learn a lesson from it, so the next time you get in this situation – then that's probably the best thing you could hope for, you know, so that the next time they're they, they can say, hey, remember, and and can and kind of use that as fodder to remind themselves what happened the last time they were in this same situation. So, I mean, at least you got a point out of it. Like, I'm not sitting here to go crazy about a win, a loss one way or another. At least you got one point out of the game. So you can walk away and say, hey, I, you know, that was an epic collapse and it's really disappointing that it happened. But, hey. At least you got one point. I mean, the the fact that they let Calgary come back and win this game, I think is a little disconcerting. I mean, the coach seemed to be pretty disappointed about it after the game. But I'm with you. I mean, we, we talked about this with Crispy yesterday. There are some games in October that you look at, like Vegas or Tampa, and say, hey, that was a good October win. But for the most part, with games in October, and even really a lot of November games, 
we look at them and we just kind of say, okay, you know, the beat goes on and you want to continue to get better and you want to continue to play your game and you want to continue to do the things that make you a good team. And I'm guessing that that's probably, to your point, that if you can take a lesson out of this Calgary game that is, it ain't over until it's over and you better know that, then I think you'll be just fine. But at the same time, the fans are going to be mad at me because I tweeted that it was over. Did it not feel like it was over when they went up to nothing? Oh, I don't. I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't think that at two nothing. At four one, I did. You know, four one, I I didn't watch anymore. Um, but but I think, um, you know, I, it's it's sad on one hand that you have to remind a team this can happen, and yet. You know, periodically it has to happen so that it's, you know, it helps the coach next time he says, hey, you guys remember Calgary, what happened? We were up by four to one and, you know, ended up losing it. So, you know, and and it'll be fresh enough in everybody's mind that they'll be able to draw from that and make a difference, I hope. Let's, uh, with that, let's take your calls. Your thoughts on the Preds game last night. Again, I thought it was over at two nothing. And I'm not going to lie, I'm disappointed that the Predators weren't able to finish off Calgary. Uh, I think it shows you that this team's not perfect because they have been playing great hockey up until then. Your thoughts on the Preds game last night? 615-737-1025 is the phone number. 615-737-1025. And did last night's game maybe worry us at times about the attitude of the Preds? 615-737-1025. Six one five seven three seven one zero two five. Plus, we got to get to Ryan Tannehill. We got to get to the Panthers. We got. We've not even really touched on the Panthers. We got so much to get to there. Jared and the GM live from the Wholesale Inc. Studio, powered by RumbleOn.com. On a Fireball Hot Take Friday, it's ESPN one zero two five. The game to the left board, curling across. Now the high slot shot stop, and the rebound put in by Kachuk. Kachuk picked up a rebound and fired it in over Pecorine, and the Flames win it overtime, 6-5. Well, I thought we just, you know, they were quicker than us and played a game that put the puck behind us for a lot of the second period as well. In the third period, they did the same thing, and we were good in the first period because we got the puck behind them, and we went to work in the offensive zone, and they spend that much time in the defensive zone. Um, they got a couple. They got some players on that team that can really hurt you, and uh, they did. They did, and at Pete Weber, I don't even think he saw the the Kachuk goal, the game winner when it happened because that was a beautiful goal. But lot Peter was right, you know, for at least the third period and the overtime, they had the puck way too much in the national end, and that's how those things happen. And Pekka got beat badly on one goal last night. Everything else I thought was kind of. The defense's fault. And so I just wonder if if the attitude of the Predators, Halloween night, they take the big lead, they're kicking butt in the first period, if the Predators just kind of took the foot off the gas. And in sports, Floyd, you know every time you take the foot off the gas, what happens? You're going to wreck. Boom. Yep. Every time. Let's go to your phones. Fireball Hot Take Friday. Rob going to kick us off on the Preds. Thank you for calling. Go ahead, Rob. Hey, guys. Uh, happy weekend to you. Yep, you too. Uh Thanks. Um, uh, I, my take on the game is this. It actually could have turned out to be one of the most motivating, self-realizing, positive collapses in the world. Because usually when a team collapses, and from 4-1 four to, four to, to 4-4 four to four or what have you, you don't come back with a goal in the final two minutes and take a lead. You usually just lose that game 
When they came back and, and, and got that go-ahead goal and went to overtime, that's a win that where you tanked or lost from a big, big comeback and go, guys, we're good. We can, you know, come back and bounce back from everything. But waking up this morning and as a season ticket holder and a fan, I wake up, I woke up this morning and I'm like, this is like kind of like, where do I really still believe that we're past that point of, you know, we're in the upper echelon. We're, you know, we're believable. Yeah, Rob, thank anyway. you. For, yeah, Rob, thank you for your call. Floyd, do you take as much of a positive outlook away from the Preds' loss last night? I'm not sure I can get there. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I can understand what he's saying. I can appreciate it. You know, he's. They did come back and score again, but. You know, I mean, the opposite is is well, we blew two leads. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just depends on how you, which side of the table you're sitting on. I mean, getting a point is good because it's getting a point and it's November and then yesterday it was still October. And all that matters is make sure you don't fall too far out of the race and get your points and, you know, kind of just keep yourself going. But in fairness, uh, I cannot be that positive about blowing that kind of lead in that kind of game. Let's go to Reese, who's up next here on the Preds. Thank you for calling. Go ahead, Reese. Hey, Jared. Um, great. I, I'm not really totally disappointed. Um, I mean, the Preds lost. Yeah, I'm disappointed there. But a couple other things I don't think we've touched on yet. Yarncroft got two shorthanded goals. Um, um, Austin Watson scored two goals on his uh, contract night. And if people see that uh, goal that Matthew Kachuk scored, it was phenomenal. So just to wind it up, Last year, it seemed as though when the Preds blew leads and they played bad, uh, we always talked about things they needed to do. And the same thing has happened a couple of times this month. Um, and they've come back, adjusted their play, and played well. So I think the positive here, for me anyway, is um, I think it's sort of a blip on the radar. And I wouldn't expect to see this happen too many more times. And Thanks a lot for listening, and yep. go Preds. Thank you for the call. I'll say this. If it becomes an epidemic where they start getting out and then they start half-tailing periods, then I got a problem. But if it becomes just a one, you know, every, you know, once in a blue moon, because, I mean, the Brothers have had games like this where they've been down, they've come back and they've won the game, and we're like, wow, what a resilient team, way to come out and, and win that game. So if the opposite ends up becoming true, I, I'm not going to be too upset about that either. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been in, in games, maybe not to that to that extreme, but we've all been in games where you've been behind and or been ahead, and you know they catch you and and you lose. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many four to ones <laughs> going into the third, <laughs> but but it doesn't matter. You know, it all ends up the same. And I don't, you know, to me, this is just a hey. One out of 82, it's not going to happen anymore. They learned a lesson from it. They're going to be fine. You know, let's go back to work and find a way to get a win uh, Saturday night. Let's go to Don, who's up next here on a Fireball Hot Take Friday. Go ahead, Don. How you doing, guys? Good. A couple of things. First of all, uh, Chris Mason called it on the broadcast last night. He made a comment to the effect that um, in this era of hockey, it's not unusual at all to see – teams bounce back and score three goals in the last period. And then next thing you know, it's tied up 4-4. But beyond that, um, 
You know, I, I have to go back to what Floyd was talking about the other day when he was talking about great athletes and how they fear losing. And all I could think about last night was this is essentially the same team as last year, with the exception of Duchesne, pretty much the same team. And last night I had the same exact feeling that I had all last year. What's it going to take to light a fire under these guys? It's not that they lost one game. Who gives a damn that they lost one game? It's where's the fight? Where's the fear of losing? So I would say this. You're the exact opposite of the first guy we talked to. Thanks for your call. Yeah. That's um, interesting. You know, this team, I don't know. I felt like last year in the Dallas series, they showed a little bit of fight. They didn't show enough fight, but they showed a little bit of fight. I don't really question the Predators' heart. Like, I don't know if that's wrong, but I don't, I don't question the Predators' heart in this. I, I think the Predators have a lot of heart um, because they showed it earlier in the week. They showed it in the Tampa game. They showed it. I'm not ready to to write off their fight uh, because they went out and they lost this one game. Now, again, if this were football, to your point, that is a humongous loss. That is a tough one. That oh, is a that kills you. kick but, you right in the... But it's 1-16, you know, instead of 182. A world of difference. Scott Burnside at The Athletic has his power rankings out. He has the Predators as the fifth best team in the NHL right now. And he writes... Terrific start for a Nashville team that crashed and burned in the first round of the playoffs. The Moorbound power play has shown signs of life, and getting Roman Yossi under contract removes potential distractions down the road. So, I mean, it's not like the outlook of the Predators is any worse for the wear because of what happened last night. I mean, I feel good about the team. I do. I feel like this team, for, again, November hockey, this team is is clicking. They are locking and loading. And a lot of people are going to ask me, when am I ever going to learn my lesson about tweeting out things like I did yesterday? Oh, you can't help yourself. I can't. You can't. I can't. I watch that I mean, second they, goal they go in there, gotta, and this game's over. They just got to understand the way you are. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is I, I, I've gotten to the point now where I feel like fans get mad at me uh, just because they enjoy getting mad at me. Like, if you listen to this show, you either really, really like me or you really, really don't like me. And I don't feel like there's really anywhere in between. And I think there are a lot of people that didn't like me who now do like me because they kind of get it. They're like, I react to stuff a little bit too much. <laughs> in the league, we say you say things come out of your mouth you can't cover with your butt. That's what happens. <laughs> well, it's different because when you're in the league, you actually have an effect on anything you're talking about or doing. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're the quarterback – and you come out and you say, we're going to win this week. Well, you know, that's because, you know, you're the, you're the quarterback. You control whether or not you win this week. If I get up here and I say, the Titans will win this week, I have literally no control over whether or not the Titans win the game. So that's where it's a little different. I mean, I'm not cashing any check. It's not like I get credit. when It's not like I caused it when they do win if I say they're going to win. So I'm not I – mean, I'm not – you know, it's not about not cashing it. It's just I react a little too much. You know, early in games, I get too high, I get low, I get whatever. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm an emotional person. I think that would be the best way to describe it. Any, anything that floats your boat. Do you not think I'm an emotional person? <laughs> you can do it anyway. Do what? You don't think I'm an emotional person? Uh, emotional. I mean, you could be. Yeah. Are you an I mean, emotional uh, person? 
No. <laughs> You're not an emotional person. No. I mean, I don't, I'm, I can't even remember seeing you. Like, the only time I can ever remember you getting really mad was when your car got wrecked. You were really mad about that. Yeah. I mean, there, I can get mad, but I don't like getting mad because mm-hmm. it's, I go to a bad place. So I just soon stay away from there. <laughs> By the way, tomorrow night, the Predators will play uh, New York at one o'clock. Adam Vingan tweets out, you know why one o'clock start on a Saturday? Uh, no. Because it's the NHL's European game of the day. Or game of the week. Ah. So the people in Europe got to watch Preds ah. and Rangers tomorrow. My guess is the Rangers and those kind of teams usually get the European game of the weeks. They got a youngster, second overall pick, Capo Caco. Oh, For yeah. the Rangers. So he's pretty, like, a big deal in Finland. Is he? A, oh, okay. Well, and then Pekka and all, I mean, Pekka's probably not going to play. But Soros is from there, too, so. Make of that what you will. 615-737-1025. 615-737-1025. So far, so good for Ryan Tannehill. Coming up next, one, why he's going to have to shoulder a little bit more of the load tomorrow, or I should say Sunday at Carolina, and two, how big of a test is this going to be for Ryan Tannehill? We will discuss that next. Jared and the GM on a Fireball Hot Take Friday. Uh, let me tell you about Authentically American. I absolutely love Authentically American, and you will too. Promo code JARED gets you 20% off of everything at AuthenticallyAmerican.us. Whether you're buying for your entire business like we do around here, or whether you're just buying for yourself, polos, scrubs, sweat ink, sweatshirts, hats, whatever it may be, everything is that made in the USA quality, which means it's better than what you're already buying, but competitively priced, especially competitively priced, when you use that promo code Jared for 20% off. That's my name, Jared, J-A-R-E-D, online at authenticallyamerican.us. Authentically American, the next iconic brand that is truly American-made. The way things have gone this year, you feel as good and as fresh in week nine as you've ever felt in your career? Yeah, probably so. You know, Not too many times you only play a couple games before week nine, for me anyway. So, um, yeah, I feel good, feel fresh, and... Uh, you know, ready to uh, ready to attack this week. You think that can give you sort of an advantage going forward these next couple of weeks, and that you're not treating a bunch of nicks and bumps and bruises? Yeah, I'd hope so. You know, I don't really think about it like that, but I just you know want to attack every week with energy and passion, and and bring that to the the guys in the offense. Hopefully, they feed off of it, and um, and we can be contagious with that, and and just grow as a unit. I hope Brian Tannehill's freshness gives him an advantage on Sunday against the Panthers, Floyd, because he's going to be doing it without some big names. Out for the Titans, already ruled out. Jarrell Casey with a shoulder injury. See, I don't think, are they ruled out of the game or ruled out practice? Out for the game. For the game? Mm-hmm. Mike Rabel's ruling them out. So, for example, Chris Milton is questionable, but Jarrell Casey is out with a shoulder injury. Ben Jones is out with a concussion, and Delaney Walker is out with an ankle. So those are three big names that the Titans are going to be without. Now, I don't remember when Casey hurt his shoulder. No, I don't either. Did he go out of the Tampa game? I mean, uh, the Tampa game, there was so much that happened in that game. But did he leave the Tampa game with a shoulder injury? I don't remember that. I remember Jones leaving the game, coming back in the game, and now I guess Jones has a concussion and is out. So I think Vrabel talked about it earlier in the week and said that you get those symptoms back or something that maybe hits you a little bit later than when you initially get the concussion. Okay. You don't believe that? I have no clue. I don't either. (laughs) But so that's what he said. But how big of a test is this going to be for Ryan Tannehill? This is the first winning team that they've played. 
in Carolina. It is on the road. He's going to have Jameel Douglas starting at center. I don't know who's playing the other guard spot. My guess would be Pamfield will finally get to suit up and play. And so Tannehill's going to have to go up against a team. This is what they have across the defensive line in terms of sacks. Six and a half, four and a half, three and a half, three, two and a half. So everybody on that line can get a sack. How much of a test is this going to be for Ryan Tannehill as he tries to kind of rebuild his name as a starting quarterback? Well, I mean, it's going to be a test for the offensive line right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, the biggest test. And those guys are going to have to find a way to get this thing done. I don't know, you know, uh, Ben Jones. I, I like Ben Jones a lot more than you do. I know you don't like Ben at all. But I, I like him. And I think what, what the center brings you, especially one that can be there all the time like Ben has been, you know, Ben hasn't missed a game as a Titan. And, and I don't know that he missed many at all when he was in Houston. I mean, he just is one of those guys that's durable and shows up every week and plays every week, and and you know what you're going to get with him. Um, and and you know the the center operates the the entire offensive line. He sets everything up, protections, the whole deal. So, um, you know, I, I worry about how much they're going to miss from a communication standpoint, getting things right, especially with these guys, because it's not like we're going to be able to concentrate on one guy. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, you go block this guy, chip this guy, and if he doesn't, you know, get to the quarterback, we're going to be in good shape. I mean, they're going to they're going to line up across the board in in some kind of a an arrangement that they think gives them an advantage and some place they can find a mismatch and and see if they can make it work. And so it's, you know, uh, those guys are are probably going to be pretty much on their own a lot which means they got to put on their big boy pants. they got to man up. Now. How, how much of Tannehill, though, is going to have to be seeing what they're doing, changing protection, and getting the ball out quickly, knowing that you've got an offensive line that, A, is not very good to begin with, but, B, is obviously dealing with injuries. And we don't even know Saffold. You know, I know he practiced full and he's probably going to play, but I'm still worried about Saffold because he only played a little bit the other day. Well, I, I I don't. I mean, I don't think Tannehill changing the protection again. Changing the protections is not going to be as big here because you got to worry about everybody. You know, they've got. I mean, they. We had trouble last week with Vea at Tampa Bay. Well, Poe is every bit of Vea, and and so the issues we had running the ball and with collapsing the pocket and all those kinds of things. Well, we're going to have the same kind of things now. I mean, they're going to be the same deal. But, uh, you know, last week you could say, okay, here is so-and-so. You know, let's make sure we slide the protection that way. Well, when you've got pass rushers on both sides and in the middle, guys that that all have been productive, then it makes it a lot harder to to get the protection right. And so what you're doing is you're, you know, you're you're hoping you're counting on one-on-one matchups and and a guy going out there and and blocking whoever he's playing against because that's what's got to happen. As far as the Tannehill test part, Tampa or excuse me, Carolina, fifth in the league against the pass. I mean that oh, is they're the, they're the number two sack team in the NFL. I mean that is like I think this is a big test for Ryan Tannehill. Well. You're on the road. You're playing the fifth best passing team. You know, the passing game wasn't great last week against Tampa. 
I think this is a big mamma jamma test for Ryan Tannehill. Well, they're the number two sack team in the NFL. And I don't care who you are as a quarterback. If you can't, if you're getting sacked, you're getting hit. I mean, it's going to be hard to to have a good day. Now, can he get rid of the ball sooner? Can he be more decisive? Can he do a bunch of that kind of stuff? Yeah, he probably can. And if we can do that, then then maybe some of the matchups won't count as much. But uh, but it's uh, it's it's not a good week to have your offensive line beat up. You know, it's not. I mean, we've been beat up all season long, but it, you know, you're all, you're at second level beat up now, and this is not the best week to have that happen. So this kind of worries you, like a little Jacksonville game where the Jacksonville defensive line was just just manhandling the Titans offense. I worry about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm worried about that too, but I'm still worried about. I mean, Tannehill has got still got a lot to prove now. You know, I mean, he's trying to build his name back, and Tannehill has had two good games. But if Tannehill wants to be a starter next year in the NFL, he's probably going to have to have, of the 10 starts he's going to get, seven or eight good games. And this is a Carolina team, while they are good against the pass, they are susceptible to being beat. I mean, the running game is going to play a huge factor in this as well. Carolina 27th against the rush. The problem is your offensive line is completely beat up. And what did we see last week? You know, we saw defense just the opposite. Number one against Rush, number 32 against the pass. And the bottom line is when you see those kinds of defenses, there's usually a reason for it. And this is, you know, really good against the pass, not good against the run. So, you know, it, it depends on, it, it depends on, you know, the, the outcome of the game, what's your offense doing, all of those kinds of things. Good defenses, generally speaking, the good defenses, you're going to be good across the board. Not outstanding. You know, you can be number one against the pass and seven against the run and still be a good, really good defense. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you know, two against the run and 31 against the pass, you're probably not. You're lacking something. Although we did talk about this last week. We kept talking about Tampa Bay being 32nd against the pass and first versus the run. And in all fairness, like I didn't think that they were the worst pass defense I've seen in the NFL. I mean, I've seen some pretty no. wretched pass yeah. defenses. That's not the worst pass defense I've seen in the NFL. Probably this year, certainly not a historically bad pass defense. And their rushing defense, while they were stout with Tampa Bay, it wasn't like the Titans couldn't get any yards on the ground. So I, maybe these are a little overrated when you see fifth versus the pass and 27th versus the rush. Like, maybe they're really not that good, or they're not this, they're not that. I mean, that's the other thing I kind of weigh into this, is how much we looked into it last week and how it really didn't feel that way as the game went along. Right. Yeah, it, which is, those. that's where those numbers get all skewed and out of whack, and, you know, you can't really can't pay that much attention to them. But people do. Let's go to your phone. 615-737-1025-615-737-1025. Again, how much pressure is on Tannehill? How big of a test is it this week against Carolina? Carl going to kick us off on the Titans. Thank you for calling. Go ahead, Carl. All right, guys. Look, I think there's there's four key factors to this game. One, I mean, one, obviously, we got to win the turnover battle. Second, I feel it's imperative that we score first. I mean, it, it's just, I mean, we somehow, some way, we've got to, to score first. It don't matter if it's a field goal, we've got to score first. And the other two things that I, 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 y'all might have mentioned it this week, but I, I haven't heard it, 
My, since Rabel's been the coach, we're undefeated against the NFC, and we're also undefeated when we receive the second-half kickoff. Versus the NFC or in general? In general. Anytime we receive the second-half kickoff since he's been the coach, we're undefeated. I, I am wow. not sure of that. Thank you for your call. I'm not he's sure that got that some, is. I don't know. If it's true, he's got I mean, some good numbers. He is, <laughs> Mike Vrabel is undefeated against the NFC. I don't know why Mike Vrabel's undefeated against the NFC, but he is undefeated against the NFC. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Giants, Redskins, and Eagles were all, well, not the Giants, you know, the Eagles made the playoffs last year. The Giants and the Redskins, Atlanta and Tampa, four of the six NFC games they played under Vrabel were lousy teams. But he did beat the Cowboys pretty badly last year and did beat the Super Bowl champion Eagles when they were still riding high off of being Super Bowl champs. So... Who knows? Make of it what you will. 615-737-1025-615-737-1025. Ron Rivera talks about the difference between Tannehill and Mariota. And what does Floyd think? uh, What kind of adjustments could he see defenses making now that there's tape on Ryan Tannehill? We will discuss that. Plus more of your phone. 615-737-1025. Do not miss Nashville's best pregame shows on a Sunday. That's right. Start your morning off with the kickoff from 7 to 9.30, followed by the NFL pregame show featuring former Titans receiver Chris Sanders, the GM Floyd Reese, and Nick Kale in for me. Live from the George Jones downtown on 2nd Avenue this Sunday from 9.30 to 11.30. Prior to the Titans taking on the Panthers, the NFL pregame show is brought to you by Wholesale Inc. powered by RumbleOn.com, Kubota Tractors, your middle Tennessee Kubota dealers, and Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House. Jared and the GM, it's a Fireball Hot Take Friday. It's ESPN 102.5 The Game. Offensively with Tennessee, Tannehill, Mariota, is there, Tannehill's projected to be the starter, but is there is there a guy that sets them apart and makes them go one way or the other? Well, I, I think they're, they're, they're different style quarterbacks where you see Mariota's more apt to, to, to run with the football. You see a lot of bootlegs with him, counteractions with him, uh, zone read stuff or where he could potentially pull it and keep it. You don't see as much with, with Tannehill. You do see some boots, but I don't think, you, you don't think you'll get as many. And Tannehill's more of a, a pure pocket passer from what I see. Or I think he stays in the pocket a little bit more than, than, than Mariota did. Um, but they, they do what they do. I mean, you know, if, if, if depending on who we get, we'll, we'll try and anticipate what we think they're going to do with them. But they're very similar in terms of what they do. I don't see that much of a difference on tape uh, other than, like I said, some of the zone read and bootleg stuff. Dependent on who we get from Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron, I got to gamble for you. You're going to get Ryan Tannehill at least to start the game on Sunday. What do you think there? Why did you have a little chuckle when you were listening to Riverboat Ron, Ron Rivera, the head coach of the Panthers? Talking about kind of the difference. Well, well Mario he started and off and said, you know, they're pretty different in that they run zone reads and they do boots and waggles. And the, and then at the end he goes, so they're really pretty similar. <laughs> going, okay, well, which one are they? <laughs> which one do you think they are? A lot of people say that Tannehill's just like Marcus except throws a better ball and is less athletic. Yeah, I don't think it's, uh, there's a great deal of difference. So, I, mean, I think he's right. They, he, they, he throws more pocket passes and... And you know, stays in the pocket is more likely to, to um, not as likely to leave. Uh, so yeah, I think from that standpoint. So what do you think the uh, the adjustments may be coming for Tannehill now that teams have tape on him, in order to to be able to see they've got games in the vault so that they can look at with Tannehill playing quarterback with the Titans 
and what kind of changes do you think Rivera has in mind? Or if you were coaching against him, would you try to kind of throw out there to throw Tannehill off? Because it can't be that it's going to be an easy ride for Tannehill as the starting quarterback of the Titans, unless the offense is just that good and Mariota made him that much worse. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you're playing this offense, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure how worried you are about the quarterback. I mean, you're looking at that offensive line and looking at your chops. You know, you're thinking, hey, these guys are a mess. So, you know, we need to find a way to blitz and and move and stunt and give them shifts and do all kinds of things to to create problems, mental mistakes, you know, that allow you to get tremendous pressure on the quarterback. And I think that's probably the way most teams, like this team, especially this team. Carolina? Yeah, with with the people that they have because they know that they're going to be good enough across the board to to get pressure on the quarterback and to beat, you know, certain guys one-on-one. I mean, they, you know, I think they're going to feel pretty confident about what they can do. Well, my one thing about this is that I do feel like Tannehill has helped the sack issue. I don't know exactly what the sack numbers are since Tannehill's been the quarterback, but it's been a lot less than it was when Marcus was the quarterback, even though, as TD points out, Tannehill is holding on to the ball for two-tenths of a second longer than Mariota was hanging on to the ball. So they're holding on to the ball for about the exact same amount of time, but the sack issue has been significantly down, even against Tampa Bay, who I thought had great pass rushers and a great defensive line. So my hope may be banking on Tannehill to be able to get the ball out so that Carolina can't have a field day with the offensive linemen a la Jacksonville or Denver did when the Titans went on the road and played those teams. Yeah, and and there's something to that. You know, the problem is by the time the you know, the end of the game comes around, all the defense is three yards off the ball. You know. And now you're trying to run it, you're trying to do some things to win the game and, and there's no room because you can't get the ball downfield because the ball's coming out so fast. You know, everything's a seven yard pattern because the you know, you're worried about protection. So that's you know, that's the part that scares you. Um, but if you if if your choice is getting the ball out quick or getting sacked, you know I'm all for getting the ball out quick. Delaney Walker ruled out with an ankle injury. Floyd, how worried are we that this that the Delaney Walker of old is is maybe never coming back? Uh, I don't know if I'm worried yet, but I mean it's certainly a question. You know, you have to start wondering at a point in time. He's uh, what's his third game in a row. Uh, yeah, he played a little bit, I think, of the Charger game, and then he came out there, and then last week did not nothing, play against Tampa, nothing and this week. week and, and Vrabel, I thought, seemed pretty optimistic early in the week that Delaney was going to have the rest off, and then Delaney would be ready to roll, and now here we are, it's around game time, and Delaney is, you know, a DNP for Sunday. Maybe they want to give Delaney this week, I, what's the buy in two weeks? You've got... Kansas City next week, and then the the bye after that. So maybe he wants to give Delaney, you know, the two weeks, and then try to hope that he's that he gets a good Delaney for two weeks, or or, I mean, excuse me, for two months to to end the season. I don't know, but the more and more we get into it, and I love Delaney Walker, and I think Delaney Walker is a great player and a great Titan. But the more that we go week to week to week, and the ankle injury is still an issue the more I start to buy into the idea that a 35- or 37-year-old <laughs> tight end 
who has major reconstructive <laughs> ankle surgery is not going to be able to get back to doing what he's done before. You hear the, hey, pretty smart guy here, Ian, huh? He's right on top of it. <laughs> well, I asked you how worried you were about the Delaney of old not coming back. You said not so worried, and you've been worried about the Delaney of old. I've been worried for a year. I told you when he got hurt. It's hard. I don't care what you say. If you're 35, 36, whatever he is, with an injury, ankle injury that severe, there's probably going to be ramifications. So we're seeing it a little bit right well, now. Well, are we at the point now where the Titans can't count on him? Where we just can't count on, okay, if you. Now, the good thing is John U. Smith, I think, is starting every week to give you a little bit more that you can count on. So it negates the loss of Delaney or the the worrisome factor of Delaney, but at least Janu's giving you a little something-something right now. Yeah, Janu and Hump, you know, they're helping you with, with inside. So, you know, would have it would have been Delaney and, and Hump, but, you know, that is not working out right now. Janu seems to be feeling okay, so... You know, that's, I mean, it's not the end of the world. could be worse. You know, I mean, we we were in a worse situation last year when it happened. But Janu has blossomed a little bit for us, made a difference. And and that's, I think, largely due to Tannehill and, you know, his confidence he has in him. And I think Janu feeds off of that a little bit. So that was good. I just wonder if the Delaney of old were to come back, say, for the second half of the season. That Delaney's out this week, maybe out next week against Kansas City. You have the bye week, Delaney comes back. And Delaney is back to normal. Now Tannehill's got some real firepower. I mean, but then again, Delaney had a whole offseason off and did not really come back to normal outside of the two touchdowns he caught against Cleveland in week one. And those really weren't all that difficult touchdowns to score. And, and I don't know. I have no idea what's going on with Zankel. I mean, I'm not a doctor. But, I mean, generally speaking, when you're to the middle of the year and he's already missed a couple of games and, and you know, going to miss – and then, you know, if you go back in, you're going to play a game and, and in my experience, likely to be right back where you were. You know, now you got have to have a couple of weeks off and, you know, let it recoup. Okay, ready to go. All right, here, we'll go do, play another game. And then you got to have time off. It's just never never quite back to where you want it to be. Coming up next here on Jared and the GM, the one thing I am absolutely scared about in this football game, I mean just petrified of, we'll get to that. Plus, the one thing about the Carolina Panthers, I don't really know. And I don't even know if we know. We'll get to that coming up. Plus, your calls on the Titans and the Panthers, 615-737-1025, on a Fireball Hot Take Friday. Uh, ESPN 94.9 Game 2, the official English radio home of Nashville SC. Listen in Saturday night as the Nashville Soccer Club takes on Indy 11 at First Tennessee Park in the Eastern Conference semifinal of the USL playoffs. Pre-game at 6.30, kickoff at 7, only on ESPN 94.9 Game 2, powered by your Middle Tennessee Toyota dealers. Tickets available to purchase now at NashvilleSC.com. Jared and the GM, it's ESPN 1025, the game.